The medical information communicated in this podcast is of a general educational nature. If you are feeling unwell, please seek the attention of a medical practitioner. Any advertisements promoted throughout the podcast are not endorsed by the presenter or any of the guests interviewed. Hi there, welcome to MediTalk, a medical podcast talking all things medical in a way that you can understand. You're with Danae. Perimenopause and menopause can cause women to feel emotions and changes in their body that can significantly impact their quality of life. Sadly, in medicine and in society, we just don't talk as honestly and openly about perimenopause and menopause as much as what we should. I was very blessed to have the opportunity to discuss this health topic with Women's Health GP, Dr. Sunita Chelva. Dr. Chelva works as a general GP at Third Ave Surgery and as a women's health GP with a special interest in perimenopause and menopause at Womb Women's Health in West Perth. Sunita is extremely passionate about helping to educate women and clinicians on this area of women's health, as well as set the record straight about HRT. Can you please share with us your own personal journey? Because I think that would be really important for people to understand it and understand where you're coming from with your passion in this area. Thanks, Danae. Um, Despite being a general GP and, you know, once upon a time I I had dreams of being a surgeon, um, I found that my own experience with early menopause really shaped my own journey in terms of that satisfying path of women's health. Mm. Um, At the time I remember I just, you know, finished having children. They were little. I was struggling with fatigue and low mood, hot flushes really erratic periods and it didn't respond to the marina coil. I'd tried everything. I'd sought out help from various specialists. Um, None of them really picked up that I was, in fact, perimenopausal. Why do you think that is? Just we just don't know enough about it as a... As a community, as a society? I think we have put it away. I mean, I think um, since the the Women's Health Study 20 years ago um, when the option for treating perimenopause Mm. and menopause was oestrogen, progesterone, we were worried that it had too much of a cancer risk. So a lot of clinicians have really pushed it to the back of their mind. Perhaps um, it's just not something that we were taught about at medical school. Even specialists, specialist endocrinologists, gynaecologists in their fellowship years, they really haven't taught it as much as, say, thyroid disease or diabetes. I chose to have a hysterectomy as well as my ovaries removed at 40 because my mother died of ovarian cancer in her 50s and Mm. maybe that was a bit radical, but I kind of thought, um, you know, my ovaries are failing anyway. I, I might as and well be preventative. Children? I've had my children. I was very lucky and blessed to be, you know, to have them easily. But mm. um, there's no point. There's no point leaving them in if they weren't working anymore. And yeah. luckily, I actually had a fantastic gynaecologist who said, "You're very young. You must replace those hormones." So the day after I had my surgery, I went straight on to HRT. Wow. And you haven't looked back because I mean, I'm with you now. I've got the benefit yeah. of being with you now. Yeah. And I mean. Um, those symptoms that you were feeling, that fatigue, how do you feel now, now that you're sort of out on the other side? I feel great and it feels bizarre. And I've thought a lot about this, that women's lives are always marked with um, sort of waves of up and down. You go through puberty, you know, Mm. you go through the up and down perhaps of uh, trying for pregnancy, pregnancy, 
Um, you know, after that, things may change. We're always marked by our cycles, our periods. People blame women. Oh, she's, you know, she's mm. PMSing. She's, and um, and menopause is like that. It's a bit like puberty. Everything starts to get, perimenopause starts to get a bit erratic and a bit crazy. Well, they say it's like the... Um the version of puberty as an older person it going is. through that hormone change. It's the change. reverse, yeah. almost. And and this can really have a lot of implications for your life. So mm. I feel now, I can't say I feel like a man, but I feel <laughs> more feel even and in more in control, not being marked by where is my cycle, what's happening. Um, and I certainly feel like and, and this happens to a lot of women, that you don't realise how bad you are feeling until you, you, you're actually treated mm. and you realise perhaps I was suffering more than I chose to, to acknowledge. I think for a lot of women we see it as our lot and we just keep going. Well, I feel, I mean, having gone, I'm going through it myself and I just sort of feel like you're conditioned or I feel bad even saying conditioned, yeah. but like Culturally. You, that you have to tolerate it. Correct. That this is just a part of getting older. That's right. It's a bit right. like losing your eyesight, you know, yeah. and it's just, and just live with it. And your mother yeah. went through it. Yeah. Women have always gone through it. You just, it's your lot. Yes, and just um, push through it. Push through <laughs> it and hopefully yeah. you'll get out the other side. So how do you actually medically define perimenopause, menopause? So perimenopause refers to the time around menopause and it can be in the order of 10 to 12 years for some women. Wow, that's a long time to... It's a long time. Yep. Um, and its commencement, as we said, can be very subtle so women may just notice a slight worsening of their PMS, their premenstrual phase. Um, as it really cranks up, it can be really unsettling and chaotic um, and women can have hot flushes and irritability and low libido and a real change in their menstruation or their periods. Mm -hmm. And sometimes symptoms can hang around for a while, for a few months, and then all of a sudden they're gone and they're back to having a lovely cycle and it's all stable. So it can be very unpredictable. Um, biochemically, it actually involves really vast swings of estrogen and progesterone where previously women would have had a nice cycle and there'd be a predictable rise and fall of the hormones. And a lot of modern women love to track their cycles on an app and they like to see that, but this becomes totally unpredictable. Menopause, on the other hand, Danae, is mm. um, defined as 12 months after a woman's last period. Mm -hmm. So it is the end to fertility and it's a time when estrogen, progesterone and testosterone levels all fall and they remain very low um, and that can have consequences on all systems of the body. And also our mood because even when you said, you know, it's the end of your period or it marks, 12 months marks of the end of your period, I think, you know, what comes to me is that that must come with you know, women feeling quite sad, you know, by that or, or or the opposite where they feel like, oh, thank gosh, you know. But, uh, you exactly. know, it, it's just that that there's emotion Marking that goes time. with it, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, a it's, it's, it's an irreversible change. And for some women, I mean, we're all having children later or mm -hmm. leaving the decision till later. Fertility is a big thing that can sometimes overlap with perimenopause and menopause. And that's it's really difficult. And whilst we have so much technology in that area, there is a finality to it. Similarly, some women, perhaps like myself, who had, you know, horrendous periods that invaded every area of their life and other symptoms to go with it, 
uh, are actually really happy that Relieved, they don't yeah. have to deal with that anymore. Yeah. So it's it can a mixed, be it's mixed. mixed emotions. Yeah, absolutely. And then you were saying, you know, for you it was 40, but for some women I was reading it can be even younger. You know, when it can be a teenager, it can be 20s. They say that 1% of women would have early menopause. So early menopause is defined as under 40. Mm-hmm. So uncommon, but it can happen. And can it be generational? So if your mum yes. had menopause, you know, and you talk to your, you, you know, the women in your family and say, how are you experiencing? Do you find Absolutely. that it sort of goes through the same generation, it same does. age? So for early menopause, sometimes that can be an autoimmune mm-hmm. uh, feature. So, but for, for generally the average age of menopause in Australia is about 51, 52, and most women may follow their mothers or older sisters, and we often ask that in the history. So mm-hmm. we tend to follow, but there's often extraneous circumstances, and we'll talk a bit about them later, that can actually hasten it. So how do you actually diagnose it? So if I was coming to you as a, as a client, how, what would someone expect to be, how would they be diagnosed? So normally we diagnose perimenopause or menopause by a thorough history. We mm-hmm. have some um, symptom checkers. Um, there's a lot of online versions of this. The green scale is one of them. Um, it is not a diagnosis to be performed on a blood test because, as we mentioned, the actual blood levels of estrogen, progesterone and t- testosterone are fluctuating quite wildly and can do so hour to hour, minute to minute. So we could certainly pick uh, pick you on a day when your levels are quite high mm. and it's not necessarily reflective of how you're feeling. So um, generally it is from a thorough history and from a person who is, like myself, who is interested in that area. Mm. Sometimes we do do blood tests and uh, when we're talking about the follicle-stimulating hormone from the pituitary, if Mm. that is elevated, we're talking about levels of about 30 alongside one year of no bleeding, that's quite confounding for menopause. So there are some levels that we might think it's a little bit suspicious mm-hmm. that um, that menopause might might be happening. So it's it's very important to diagnose it. There's a lot of overlap with other things, and therefore you need someone to holistically look at all of yourself. You can't just, you know, menopause occurs alongside iron deficiency, underactive thyroid, autoimmune diseases. Around this time, unmasking of lots of diseases happen at the same time. So. You, you know, the clinician has to look at everything uh, to decide that this might be going on. To validate a woman's symptoms is a really powerful thing, mm, I absolutely. think, and saying it's not in your head, you're not going crazy, you don't have dementia, this is happening. Mm-hmm. It's okay, it is what happens, but there's something we can do about it. So what are the ABCs of women of women's hormones? Because we, we're not medical and the and the women listening to this podcast will be you know just everyday women like me um so can you teach us a little bit about estrogen testosterone what are the hormones we're meant to be having and and, yeah. and at what level i suppose okay so estrogen progesterone and testosterone are the three hormones that women rely on but principally estrogen is the main well-known female mm-hmm. hormone and Lack of estrogen is what typically causes a majority of symptoms in the perimenopause and menopause. Um, Estrogen is the main female hormone and it's produced by the ovaries, Mm -hmm. small amount from the adrenal glands and small amount from fatty cells elsewhere in the body. 
So lack of it, interestingly, can affect every single organ or system in the body. Um, it's the driver for vasomotor symptoms, so where your blood vessels dilate. So that's where you have a hot flush. Um, interestingly, a hot flush can actually be shown uh, where you actually have vasodilation in the brain. Mm. So women wonder why their cognition and their brain function is affected. If you're in the middle of a meeting and you have this massive hot mm. flush, it's actually because physiologically something is happening, mm-hmm. and that's oestrogen. Um, oestrogen is very important for bone health as well. We know that um, when you go through menopause, your bone density drops quite markedly, uh, and women are very much at risk of osteoporosis. Heart health, we know that the risk of heart disease uh, skyrockets once you go through menopause. Cognition, again, it's protective for Alzheimer's, possibly um, also for bowel cancer. Um, Vaginal health, it's also something that plays a big role in that area. Um, Lots of things that women die of are related to lack of oestrogen, so strokes, heart attacks, consequences of Alzheimer's. I mean, coming, a very interesting thing that's come out of COVID is um, that oestrogen can have a very positive effect on the immune system. So women actually in their fertile years probably fare a lot better than men. So women are less likely to die from COVID, but women in the perimenopausal and menopausal years are more likely to have long COVID and have similar, similar sorts of symptoms and that's very hard to tease out yeah <clears throat> excuse me um it's also i notice some women some of my patients will say in that perimenopausal phase that when they're going in the, when they're going through pms that they often notice a drop in their immunity they get a sore throat they feel particularly tired they get achy and possibly that could be that drop in estrogen it, it does have that impact on the immune system which is interesting yeah that is interesting Um, Progesterone is probably less important, but it has its role, um, and increasingly so, uh, hormone for women, and it really serves to stabilise the endometrial or the uterine lining. So if you have a uterus and we're replacing your oestrogen, you need to have progesterone to keep that lining thin so that you don't bleed so it doesn't get thick. Interestingly, it may have implications in terms of mood, some uh, modern types of progesterone, HRT, micronized progesterone, has an anxiolytic effect. Uh, progesterone can have an effect on the gut as well, but these are areas that we need further research in. Testosterone, I mean, we think it's a, ma- a male hormone. If I tell women, you know, I'm, you know, we, we need to replace your testosterone, they think, gosh, I'm not going to get a low voice or I'm not going to get yes. a hairy chest or anything. I am think, I? I think just, they might worry, yeah. oh, you know, am I going to bulk up or That's something? Right. You know, get all these muscles all of a Correct, sudden. Correct, to spend so much time on depilation and laser and yes. what's going to happen if yes. I, you know, you give me testosterone. But it, it is often the missing part of the puzzle it's only it's actually made in western australia the only form of t- testosterone is actually made locally wow in west leadable in western australia but it is only licensed by the TGA for hypoactive sexual desire which is lack of libido which testosterone definitely mm. has a big effect mm. on we know that but interestingly it also is a big factor 
in brain function, energy, drive, and muscle strength and metabolism. So those are sort of seen as secondary at the moment sort of um, benefits of testosterone, but it's not licensed for those per se at the moment. Um, There was a study that was done over east by Professor Davis, I believe, um, on the fact that they took a cohort of women in their 70s and the women who had low testosterone had higher risk for cardiovascular disease or had had cardiovascular events. So there may be some protective Mm. effect to testosterone as well. Wow, interesting! sounds fascinating. And, you know, are there certain, so it sounds like it's a real balance between all those different hormones and getting all the right amount of them to get the right levels. So are there particular levels that we should be aiming for to be able to function better? It's very interesting because every woman is set at a different level. And... Whilst we don't use blood tests to diagnose perimenopause, we certainly, I would use them in practice to titrate a woman taking so more the right, getting the right therapy. dosing. Correct. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the other factor that I think that whilst maybe a lot of GPs and clinicians know about giving a woman HRT, some women may need 100 micrograms of oestrogen estradiol and someone might need 25 micrograms of estradiol but get the same effect. So you you treat to symptom alleviation. Um, Like we were saying before, Danae, you don't treat the number, we treat the patient. Mm. But I certainly do blood tests to just monitor that we're not giving them too much, that it's not in a supraphysiological level Mm. and certainly if, if they weren't having enough and that is reflected in their symptoms as well. And then what's the relationship between perimenopause, menopause and the effect on our mood, energy levels and, and memory. Why do we get so affected, those those parts of our life and our parts of our ourselves? Well, I guess it's what, what we said before, that oestrogen, testosterone mm-hmm. have receptors in all these areas and lack of those in terms of def- like a deficiency, I guess, mm-hmm. although it's not widely regarded as this because it's supposed to be a natural state, these are what really... Um, create these symptoms. It's the lack of estrogen and testosterone that gives us the drop in mood, the reduction in memory, the fact that we feel like we want to curl up under our desk Mm. in the office. Um, These are things that we don't realise. I mean, it's a bit like like our thyroid gland. We don't think much about it. We don't think what it's doing. But if it was underactive or if it was overactive, it does actually have a profound effect on the body. I mean, women, I mean, how much do you think, Danae, women make up of the of the workforce? It's about 50% and about 20 to 25%, I think now, maybe uh, 30% are in reasonably high-level roles and, you know, every woman is going to go through this. Mm. 70 to 80% will have some symptoms. 25% will have severe symptoms. And um, absolutely it can affect they're functioning at work. Um, in the UK, they've done a lot of study on the impact of women in the workplace and the fact that we probably, and we need to start thinking about that here, that we need to start incorporating that in our policies, in our work policies. There should be a mandate for protection for women. We're starting to include that with menstrual leave, but certainly with menopause, that people need to understand this woman's not going crazy. Mm. She's, you know, she's not blasting the air conditioner on the coldest winter day for no reason. They're 
you know, they they need to have some support through this mm. and uh, some help um, and directives about it because all women, as we said before, feel the need to just continue and push on mm. and, and cover up. And women are less likely to take higher roles. They would rather take a demotion. People are falling out of jobs. Mm. Um, the impact on mental health is huge. Interesting, I think I said this in my other podcast, but it just startles me that the highest risk of suicide in women is around the age of perimenopause, so the average age 45 to 50, and the next lot of people who are uh, a cohort who are at risk of uh, suicide is the postmenopausal woman. So that's saying something, that, that this must have a role in in our mental health, so yeah. we're forgetting that. And I think it's really important to get this information out there because we'll, we'll move on to talking about sort of solutions and treatment options. Mm. What's out there? Well, this is where the problem, I guess, arose from, and that was a, a 20 years to this year. So in 2002 there was a very large study called the Women's Health Initiative. Mm -hmm. That study... Uh, looked at a cohort of women who perhaps had a lot of risks themselves and that was part of the problem. It used old-fashioned HRT, so oral estrogen mm -hmm. and an old form of progesterone, medroxyprogesterone, which we don't tend to use now. So oral estrogen potentially has risks for thromboembolisms at clots and strokes. Medroxyprogesterone was said to have caused breast cancer. And I just marvel at the fact that back in that day, 20 years ago, before we had phones and social media, that the newspapers, the radios, TVs took up this message and women, not just women in the community, but GPs, specialists, everywhere believed HRT equals breast cancer, so I'm not going to take it. Mm. Now we realise that modern oestrogen and uh, progesterone and testosterone are very safe and may even be protective and preventative for future health. Uh, so the, the, usually we would look at, um, in terms of replacing oestrogen um, and testosterone, um, topical oestrogen. So oestrogen comes in the form of a patch, which you'd wear twice a week, or a gel that you put on daily. If you have a uterus, as we mentioned before, you need to have some progesterone. Now, this depends if you need contraception. That's one thing that perimenopausal women often forget about because they think, I'm too old. <laughs> yes. Surely I don't need to worry about having children. Well, it's often a time, as we said, you can have a high spike of estrogen, throw out a beautiful egg, and you might find yourself pregnant at mm. 48, 50, wow. and that may be desirable or it may not be, yes. but it's it's just something that women have to be aware of. So sometimes we use the marina coil mm -hmm. uh, or if, if contraception's not needed, we might use a micronized breast-safe progesterone known as Prometrium. There is a new oral type of oestrogen and micronized progesterone pill that's going to that's in circulation at the moment that will become more popular. So there's increasing options for women, but the overall treatment that would be the most important thing for all women is looking at lifestyle. 
sometimes I say to women, in you know, if I'm saying to them, you can take your HRT, but you have to exercise, you have to improve your diet. They can't do it because of their... Yes, their mood. Their mood. They're not sleeping. And low energy, yeah. They're anxious, they have palpitations, they just don't have that drive. So often replacing what is lost means they can now get back to walking, get back to the gym, start looking at their diet, organising what they need to do. So it goes hand in hand, but always... And it's so sad because often, you know, these symptoms are affecting our self-esteem, our self-image. So, you know, you're already coming from a low base. You know, Correct. you're not coming from a base of feeling good about yourself. No. Or, um, and you know, and you're, and you're, you know, you know you have to do those things and they will probably make you feel better. But Correct. if you're coming from a, you know, low feeling about yourself, low energy, it's really hard. It is yeah. hard. And often... Women will come to me from other doctors saying, look, I've been told I just need to, you know, improve my diet, my exercise, but I can't, I can't do it. I just mm. physically cannot. And it gets overwhelming. Like, what do I do first? Like, so, you, so then you ignore it. That's yes. right. And you sort of you get into that spiral yeah. again. So then what should we know about HRT? You know, um, how can we de- demystify it? Um, I think... Let's change the narrative and say that HRT is safe. Modern HRT is safe. It may take uh, seeing a doctor who's comfortable in prescribing it. It may take a bit of chopping and changing and finding the right dose, the right type that suits you. It may mean that you feel that it's not right for you, but it's important that we know that it is safe. And I think for clinicians, particularly when we said there's a bit of a diagnostic dilemma um, in terms of working out whether a woman, her symptoms are really due to perimenopause, Mm -hmm. there is no harm giving it a try. And how long would you give it a try for? Because I've known women that have tried it and they've gone, oh, I don't really feel that much better. But but then I wonder, well, how long did they actually give it? You know, um, how long do you think would be a decent enough time to give it to see if it improves how you feel? I think at least three to six months you'd Mm -hmm. have to try it. You know quite quickly, most women, when you replace their oestrogen within a couple of weeks, they'll suddenly say, oh, I'm sleeping better and I feel a bit clearer. Testosterone may take a bit longer. It can take up to six months. Right. So I think around that time, but you've got to go and see somebody who knows that if one form doesn't suit you, then let's look at another. Mm, and doesn't it sounds like there's not one, you know, taking HRT is going to be the answer. It might be no. HRT and a patch or it might be a sort of... A con- patch is the form of HRT. Right. Yeah. So would you... Is it a combination of different things you'd be trying or depends? So you usually what I would do, so mm-hmm. if you came to see me, I yes. would start you. So if you've got a uterus, you need progesterone. If you don't need contraception, we would look at the micronized progesterone, uh, maybe a marina coil. Then, you'd, then, then we would look at estrogen. So that's protecting your uterus. Mm. Then we would look at replacing your estrogen with a gel, known as estrogel every day, used every day, or a patch that you wear twice a week. I would usually see someone back at about six weeks after having blood tests to see how are their symptoms, what are your blood tests looking like, do we need to increase the dose Mm. of the patch or the gel. 
are you getting any bleeding? Because that is a very common thing and women need to know that in the first three months, particularly if you're perimenopausal, you may get a bit of irregular bleeding. That's quite normal. It will take a bit of time to settle and you need to know that this is not due to a fibroid or a cyst or any sort of pathology. Um, once those are established, I tend to introduce testosterone into the mix as well because that can be the final sort of clincher that makes women go, oh, I actually feel like myself again mm. <laughs> and can be, and, and once again, every woman's different. Some women who purely have hypoactive sexual desire may just use testosterone and find that very useful. Mm-hmm. But the view always is checking on their weight, on their, you know, as I said, all their other blood tests to see that their cholesterol is improving, that their diet's improving. We often involve a dietitian. Um as I briefly mentioned, vaginal health is really important. Women suffer from a lot of discomfort, dryness, um, which can impact on their libido and uh, topical HRT, like we're talking about in a patrogel, can help that. But sometimes we need to use localised estrogen as well, and that mm. can be very useful. And, you know, when, you know, you, you become this age, you know, it's quite common you're having coffee with your friends and we're all talking about, God, we can't keep the weight down, even mm. if we, you know, we're all carrying it around the bottom more, all the b- girlfriends of mine, you know, all had been, you know, quite flat-breasted all their life, very athletic, and suddenly, you know, have curves they mm. never thought they'd have. Yeah. But they don't actually, you know, that doesn't, they're not comfortable with it and they don't, yes. you know, they want to not be that shape because that's not what they're used to and it's Man, not that's right. how they used to uh, functioning in the world Correct. and uh, maybe they're runners and things like that. That's so right. how, you know, how can they get back to not, storing weight around their tummy because that in itself is a, a risk to heart attack. Correct. Like that. That's right. So, it's a vicious cycle. Yeah, yeah. How do you, you know, manage this weight gain that you, you know, not used to and maybe lower sex drive and, you know, not used you just to just feel that. undesirable just, yeah, altogether. And undesirable to yourself. That's you know? right. Um, and and yeah. that's, yeah. I suppose, you know, it's not just being desirable to another person you're in a relationship with. It's but your self-confidence. It's yourself. It's looking you, at yourself in the yeah, mirror. Yeah, and it's, feeling comfortable with yeah, yourself. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you you know, loving yourself. I know there's this whole movement about self-love, but, you know, you do Absolutely. fall out of love with yourself because you, you think, hang, hang on Well, nothing in my wardrobe fits me. I mean, it's exactly. devastating for a woman. I, I think that's... So how do you, when you, you know, got someone in front of you like a woman talking like this how, how do you confront the weight gain for instance mm. is that where you're talking to a dietitian and it's looking at your diet or yeah well it's a multifactorial yes. thing and that's where we were saying hrt is part of it but mm-hmm. increasing your veggies reducing your fatty meats um lean meats lots of fish good oils good fats the mediterranean diet really is the only diet that has been shown to um, scientifically make a difference. I think there's a lot of women who will come in and say, I've done fasting, I've done keto, I've done, you know, whatever the latest fad is on Instagram and you need something that's sustainable, something that you can do easily. Sometimes it's actually eating. Some women forget that you actually you do need to eat regularly. You need to have a good breakfast, lunch and dinner and you need to pack in as much nutrition as you possibly can. Um and activity is a big, big thing. So actually getting out there and doing something that you enjoy because 
you know, if you're suddenly going to sign up for a HIT class and you hate every moment of mm. it, you're not going to do it. But if you love walking your dog or cycling, whatever you do, it's important to keep doing. Foods high in sugar, processed foods are things to keep to a minimum. I think anything that is inflammatory or pro-inflammatory will always make any condition worse. Um, and what's examples of that just in terms of anti-inflammatory foods? Is that sort of like your high acidic foods or? I think I, my, I usually go by the motto of just eat real food. Yes. So eating, you know, things that are grown in the ground, eating whole grains, eating nuts. Um, just going back to your, basics. Going back to basics, your avocados, your eggs, your nice oily fish. Mm -hmm. I think going back to basics is is the easiest thing to do. Yes. And probably not being as, you know, so restrictive. Sometimes you are allowed, you know, you should allow yourself to enjoy yourself mm. and have a glass of wine or have a piece of cake, but it's it's everything in balance. I think a, a big area of research is the gut microbiome mm. and probiotics, prebiotics, peribiotics. They're all the buzzword at the moment, but they, I'm sure, will have a big impact. I'm sure that uh, there'll be some research, if not already done, on the fact that female hormones, um, you know, the lack of estrogen may change your whole your whole um, microbiome, and I think that's that's something else to look at yes. in the future. Part of it's acceptance as well. I think that, as you said, that estrogen uh, lack of estrogen does play into having some weight that gathers around the middle or a change in body shape, and sometimes it can be quite devastating to be at the gym all the time, eating really well, being super careful and things don't change. You have to accept that this is a different part of life. There's mm. different things that come with it. Health may not look like you did in your 20s, but mm. you might be a very healthy menopausal woman and that's that's fantastic. It's a yeah. good time to really take stock of your general health. And it's hard because we're living in a society, you know, you just have to look at your local, uh, you know, the telly and you're seeing, you know, 50-year-old women looking younger and younger. <laughs> and I think, you know, you realise they might have the face of a 40-year-old, mm. but their body, you know, I suppose they, you do have to reach some sort of peace or acceptance that what are the parts of my what you am know, I going to work on? My, my body that I'm, I need to make peace with, that they're not That's going right. to be, That's I'm not right. going to have abs of steel like I might have no. in my 20s or I'm not going to. Yeah. Um, so I think there's parts of yourself that you have to make peace with. But I Correct. think it's the quality of life, certainly speaking amongst my friends and myself, mm. that I think that's where people you know, when they come and seek help, mm. they're, they're saying it's the fatigue, it's the memory loss. It's, it's a, the mood. It's, it's being ha If you're it's happier being happy, overall, yeah. you will feel better. At the end of the day, I guess while we are very conscious about what's happening on the outside, really it's what's happening on the Absolutely. inside. Yeah. And so, you know, I would encourage women to get their screening test done if they come and see me. Make sure you have your mammogram. Mammograms can start. And mammograms. when do you start that? Well, Breast screen would recommend from 50, but you can actually start from the age of 40. Mm -hmm. um, pap smears continue until you're 74. Um, bowel screening will start at 50. Bone density is not something that we typically screen for, but if you have a family history, if you've had fractures, if you've had early menopause, it's actually I often would say to women, why don't you just get a baseline? And the number of women we actually uncover who actually have low bone density or osteoporosis without them even knowing is quite 
significant. And estrogen replacement is a very valid form because it has lots of other benefits uh, for their bones. So rather than taking a medication called a bisphosphonate, which if you're 50 and you've got to end up taking for the rest of your life, we don't know mm. the long-term implications of that, whereas hormone replacement therapy may actually have far-reaching benefits. And are benefits. F- there foods and things that are very high in estrogen and things like that that we can... I don't think so. There, there was yeah. a lot of talk about soy products yes. and seed, but I don't think, and phytoestrogens, but these have not really been proven because they don't really replace estrogen the way that they get metabolised in your body. So, And if you are physically active, can it help with your hormone levels? So does it help boost, you know, naturally or is that just mainly to keep your weight in a normal way. Well, range. I think it's got far-reaching benefits for mood, for cardiovascular yes. disease. Um, you know, it's an anti-inflammatory immune effect. There's so many benefits positive effects. Of exercise. Of, so it doesn't, as such, increase your hormone level, mm. but it helps everything else that makes the body go. So Actually, I was only talking to a friend on the weekend saying that there's almost every oncologist I've ever had the pleasure of speaking to or Meditalk have <laughs> yeah. talked about the benefits of exercise yeah, and that, that as soon as someone's going through chemo, they will get them downstairs to the gym Correct. with an exercise physiologist yep. ASAP Correct. and um, gone are the days that, you know, they're, you know they're, 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 all the research is out there saying how You beneficial. don't lie in a bed. You don't rest and put your feet up. I think that's research that's been done at Charlie's or yes. at UWA. It's a local study yes. which has shown the benefits. There are no detriments to it. And, and then if you speak to a psychiatrist or you speak Correct. to anyone I've ever had on Medi- Meditalk, they've always talked so highly of exercise and how yes. so um, if we could do more of it, they Absolutely. would. Absolutely. We know. leave such, we lead such sedentary lives and particularly in the jobs that we do, um, I think learning to create incidental exercise in our day yeah. will make such a big difference and I as think well. It, and, you know, it doesn't have to be hard. And that's the other thing I think when you get to your late 40s or going into 50s, I think you mm. You know, you can't keep up with an F45 class, nor does your joints want you to either. So, you you know, you do have to redefine what exercise looks for you and be okay with that and say, well, you know, I'm going to go for a walk or I'm going to do this. Or or you may. Yeah. It depends on, you know, there's women who started running marathons. I know. The sky's the limit. But I think you have to find something that resonates with you. I'd like to think in our 40s and 50s that we're starting to know ourselves better yes, and not really do things because, you know, your best friend's doing it or someone told you to. You're doing it because it fills you up and that's yeah. an important Or, as you say, people aspect. are finding marathons at 50 or, you know, but, uh, you know, doing something that resonates for you but is also kind to your body. So Exactly. Uh, you know, thankfully yeah. there's so much out there now. Yes. Um, and then, you know, when do you start seek- seeking help? Um, where you should not be tolerating the symptoms and, and where do you even start? Because it, it can get very overwhelming. As I say, I've been on, um, you know, been through this journey and it's, you know, do you see the naturopath? Do you mm. see the acupuncturist? Do you see which doctor do you see? I mean, mm. it, where do you sort of start that healing journey to, to seek the help that you need in it's this di- area? It's difficult. I wonder, um, I'm... Being a GP, I would say the best place to start is your GP because even if they're not passionate about perimenopause and menopause, they could send you to someone who might be. Um, 
it depends on the threshold for, of, of the personal threshold of the woman as to when they actually find help. Mm. I think, as we were saying, if women are more in tune with their bodies, they need to start, um, you know, not accepting the fact that they're not sleeping and they're exhausted and, that you know, that they're listening out for these symptoms that we talked about because mm-hmm. they can really impact their life going forward. Well, they're talking to you, aren't they, they're yeah. saying? That's right. But it's it, there's no shame in bringing bringing you're not a, you're not soft you're not you know not a proper woman if you if you actually go and present yourself to the right doctor and if you do hit brick walls keep asking mm. keep asking your friends you may get help from a naturopath you may get help from lots of different places. Well, so, I did you but, know Google um, um, you know doctors uh, with an interest in menopause and obviously your name comes up, but there's a great association that actually lists all the doctors like yourself that have this special interest. That's right. If you Google the Australian Menopause Society, you will find. And I um, thought, gosh, why didn't I do that ages ago? So I'm putting it out there as that's a great way to start. And I guess one of my other passions that I'm working on is educating other GPs and other clinicians about this and, and, you know, we've had a 20-year hiatus and we're slowly starting, it's starting to come back into the conversation. So it'll be something that most GPs will be quite savvy with. It's a very satisfying area of medicine. It's not hard to help people feel better mm-hmm. and then you can address all the rest of the aspects of their health. If a woman is in good health, her family, community and the society around her also benefits. Yeah. I think that's why it must be so rewarding for yourself to help other women because you know you're actually affecting so many, you're impacting so many other people's lives, not just (laughs) their life. Yes. Which is, um, you know, it's very powerful. Well, a lot of people are dependent on women, whether it be in the workplace, at home, elderly parents friends we often are the anchor around a lot of people our partners it's really important and so to look do, after them. do you offer telehealth so if someone was living interstate or overseas and they wanted to see you um i mean now since covid mm. telehealth's getting more and more um uh, you know valued and and seen as the norm can they connect with people like yourself for a session they can. We can do video telehealth. I uh-huh. think that is a valid way of meeting yes. someone for the first time. Telephone health, unless we've met you before, is a little bit abstract. In terms of practising viable medicine and correct medicine, I think face-to-face yes. is always ideal. Unfortunately, now that COVID is more of a mainstream um, disease, we a lot of the rebates that, that patients oh. may get those are falling away and so telehealth is perhaps becoming more expensive for a patient mm. but certainly it, it makes it wonderful that we can speak to people in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, country GPs have so much on their plate for, for them to add in, you know, having to manage and titrate and have, be knowledgeable about HRT. It's very difficult. So, so they can have video Absolutely. appointments. Okay. Absolutely. And then what would be some of the questions they should be asking? Because I know sometimes we go to appointments and... You know, sometimes we, we, we rush there and, um, you know, haven't made time to think about what questions we want to ask, but are there particular questions that they could that could be helpful? Well, I guess asking, um, what, asking your doctor what is the best that I can do for my health 
um, at the moment and for prevention. So understanding your family history, what your individual risks are, the future of medicine really is going to be genetics and genomic medicine. So what does it look like for me as a person within my family? Um, is is HRT right for me? Is this type of exercise right for me? Um, is there anything that I can change? Should I be cutting down alcohol? Should I be quitting smoking? Um, are there any contraindications for me having hormone replacement therapy? Um, and know, does alcohol and cigarette smoking and, you know, caffeine drinking affect or make our menopausal symptoms worse? Absolutely. Certainly. Oh, okay. the smoking particularly is one factor we know that it affects. And I know smoking is one of the hardest things to give up for some people, but it can really hasten as well as worsen menopausal and perimenopausal symptoms. What about coffee? I don't think oh, coffee, good. again, but, everything but in alcohol. moderation. Alcohol, mm, definitely. Yep. And um, have you got a sort of patient story, someone you might have seen recently that sort of really, you know, is what we're all experiencing at a certain age, someone that's come to you with all these symptoms and sort of come out the other end other than yourself because you <laughs> yourself is a great case, but, you know, people that come to you that you could share their story. Yeah, I guess it. Uh, perhaps if I sort of outlined a patient who would represent many. Many. Yes. Because it's a common thread. Yes. So I would often see a mother of two children, say, two or three children in her 40s. She's very educated. As you said, she's a corporate woman who works four or five days a week. Um, she's starting to feel she's not as sharp. She's not sleeping at night. She's often uh, throwing off her sheets because they're, they're drenching. Uh, she feels that she's not able to fit into her suits for work anymore. Uh, the other week in a, in a boardroom meeting, she felt faint. Uh, she had a panic attack, which is very unlike her because she's never had anxiety. Her confidence is starting to be eroded. Her, she feels her husband's not looking at her. Their sexual relationship has deteriorated quite significantly and she's worried about uh, whether their marriage is going to be mm. viable uh, she's thinking of giving up her job or maybe just working in the school canteen for, mm. uh, for a few days of the week, but she's got a lot of aspirations and she wants to continue with them because she knows that she's young and she spent a lot of time studying and working. Mm. Um, and, you know, she would often present to me crying and um, really quite crushed and a real shadow of the person that I would imagine that she would once used to be mm -hmm. and often would come in because her friends have said, you know, there's, there's help out there, this could be going on. And, and she, you know, often might come to me and say, well, aren't I too young? I'm 42. What, how, how is this possible? I thought menopause was for older ladies, you know. I don't, my sister had breast cancer. I don't want, I want to look at hormone replacement therapy. I don't want to look at anything. Someone like that, we can mm. really have a look at their whole history um, and, and, and think about trialling some hormone replacement therapy, therapy because her symptoms are suggestive of perimenopause. And often even at the six-week check, they are just a different person. And that is quite, that is so powerful wow. for me to feel like I can, you know, 
she might come back saying, oh, I've now decided to put aside time in the evenings for myself to exercise, I'm meditating, I'm, you know, I've decided to take that promotion at work and my husband and I are going really well and it just, the flow-on effect is quite significant. So, Yeah, because I was about to say it's like a chicken and egg when you're talking about You know, if you're not sleeping well, it just um, just has such a confounding impact. But then you think, oh, you could yeah. also put it, you know, a lot of your symptoms down to sleep. That's you know, right. That you could say, oh, maybe it's not menopause. I'm too young to get menopause. Absolutely. I'm actually just not sleeping. So then That's you start right. going to your GP, I suppose, then just going, oh, I'll That's just right. take some s- drugs for my sleeping. That's right. So a lot of women end up on antidepressants or sleep medication and they don't quite hit the mark. And, I mean, certainly the perimenopausal depression is quite different to your classical clinical depression. And while the two can coexist, that's possible. The other interesting thing around this time is that things like attentional difficulties can be unmasked and can Mm. be uh, even having that fluctuation in oestrogen can be quite destabilising and cause concentration issues. But women who previously may have had underlying ADHD, it may unmask that. Same with mental health. I think it can be a huge turning point uh, Mm. for them. And they don't realise perhaps their doctor may only see what's on the surface, so you are depressed and not treat what might be driving that. And also they're, you know, so tight, everyone's so time poor and they're, you know, they're dealing with, you know, COVID (laughs) and so many other um, in general practices, so many competing um, medical issues that it's going on that um, I think having that that time or that 30, 15 15 to 30-minute consult, which is probably more what you'd need i'm not not sure but absolutely we usually not, see people for 30 minutes yeah, at least i was about to say times, you just yeah. can't um expect you know they're not superhuman they're not super no. you know you can't expect in no. five ten minutes for someone to have no. the answer you no. know um and no. that's sort of not being fair to you no and it's actually not being fair to the person that's trying to help you Correct. so i think it's sort of like uh destined for you know, it not working. So yeah, I think it's, that's right. um, you know, or they're only going to deal with that, you know, one component or one issue that you've and come in with. And not see the whole picture. Yeah. That's right. And as we were saying, uh, COVID is a big thing that I guess as our society's only started to experience it this year, women, one of the messages is that women need to be wary of the fact that it can hasten perimenopause. They need to be mindful if you're that bit extra tired that you, you – you're starting to get hot flushes, you're starting to get symptoms creeping in. It could be post-COVID. We know that the COVID vaccine can cause menstrual irregularities. It reflects what the COVID virus itself does as well because it can affect receptors on the ovaries. Mm. So it makes sense that it can affect hormones. So could you talk a little bit more about uh, about how beneficial exercise could be for people suffering perimenopause, menopause, is there particular forms of exercise that's better than others? or So exercise for the perimenopausal and menopausal woman is extremely important, not just for the obvious uh, prevention, maintenance of our bone health, so for preventing osteoporosis. Um, I mean, exercise means that you build your muscles, you build um, uh, your bony matrix, if you fell, 
Um, you're more likely to be able to get up from a fall if if you've got the strength. Um, it's so important for our cognition, for our heart health. One of the key types of exercise uh, for for menopausal, perimenopausal women, because we lose muscle strength so easily, is weight training. Mm-hmm. And a lot of women are very hesitant to do this. They feel that, once again, oh, I don't want to have big muscles and I don't think that's, you know, I'm not really into into that sort of exercise. How am I going to do it? And mm. maybe I need to protect my pelvic floor and maybe it's not good for not good for my body, but weight training because mm. we lose our, we have such a rapid decline in our muscular uh, framework, weight training is a huge uh, part of exercise for a menopausal woman and actually lifting reasonably heavy weights. It's also very, very good for uh, mental health. I think just being able to to improve on your um the amount of weight that you lift and how frequently you can do it, a lot of women find that really beneficial. Mm-hmm. So I think there is more and more research coming out about that and it's and it's something to, to look into if you are able. And it doesn't mean heavy weights necessarily. It doesn't necessarily yep. mean heavy yeah. weights. Although but don't be people... afraid of heavy weights. Yeah. I think that a lot of a lot of women need to know that uh, it's you're not going to you're not going to become big and no. bulky. You're actually going to be replacing what um, what, what is lacking? And um, I actually know some women in their fifties that are getting into weights for the first time ever. Exactly. Absolutely loving it. Exactly. Like they're actually it loving. It is. Like I can when I speak very, to them, they think it's very empowering. It's very empowering that That's they the feel yes. stronger. Correct. And it's um and when you speak with them, they're so proud of themselves. And you look at their Instagram pages, and they're you know lifting these weights. But you, you know you can see how it's um changing their psyche of themselves in terms of their self-esteem more than their body you know more than their body but they're just loving how stronger they feel that's right and often a lot of women my age I don't know if you feel like this but sometimes you wake up and you feel like an old woman you Mm. feel achy and tired and exercise actually injects energy into into yourself more than more than you realize I mean that that energy that's required to get out the door is really hard but once you start doing it start to become a habit. And it is one of those things that I'm one of those people that find it really hard to find the motivation, but I, I always think everyone, feel, Danae, it's I know, everyone. I always feel <laughs> so much better afterwards. Yes. I think, oh, it's not, never something I regret. It's always never. something I go, God, I'm glad I did that. You That's know, right. it makes you feel better that you've actually, one, made time for yourself, but you have, you know, you actually did something for yourself today, but you always feel, feel better. Correct. From exercising. That's and right. it's so instantaneous when we're living in a world where, um, you know, you want to. We love f- immediate reward. Yeah, but you do <laughs> yeah. finish and you think, God, I'm glad I yeah, did I'm that. Yeah, I'm glad I did that. Even though it took everything to get there, it was worth it. It was worth it, yeah. So I think for women in 2022 in Perth and in Australia, I think um, one of the messages is be aware that this is happening and this will change and you will see it in your friends and that it is something that you should address and that may mean simply just changing a few lifestyle factors. It may be introducing better habits in your diet um, or it may mean seeking some medication. It may mean doing some preventative health screening treatments. Um but it's good to be aware, perimenopause, 
menopause are it is a natural transition of your life, but it's a time to harness uh, your health, really. Um, I think normalising it, as we said, in the workplace, amongst friends, educating our men as well, our children even. I mean, my kids hear a lot about perimenopause and menopause, but it is something that I think if we give people the language to be able to discuss it with each other, there's going to be a lot more understanding around it and um, we're able to accommodate it in, in all walks of, of life. And I think sometimes you might not get the hot flushes, so it, it, I think sometimes we've really just pigeonholed menopause and go, oh, well, I'm not getting hot flushes so no. I mustn't have menopause. No. Yeah, You may get, in fact, I mean, there any symptom under the sun, I have women who sometimes have hives, intractable hives and itching, women who have Achilles tendonitis, which they never had before. And it's really interesting when you treat these things, they're suddenly gone. So people, I think as an advice, I guess, to GPs would be always keep it in the back of your mind. There are things um, that the lack of oestrogen particularly can manifest as lots of other presentations yes. and patients as well, I think. Just yeah. always keep in mind that could, that could be brewing in the background. Sounds spot on. And then what's one thing that maybe we could do today for ourselves that would help our symptoms? I think seeking correct scientifically-based information is important. It's very hard in that big jungle that is the internet to find correct information. Correct. Uh, here's another thing you can do. Yeah. He's asked for one, but I think, as I said, looking at your lifestyle, starting mm -hmm. to make a change in your habits, mm -hmm. uh, starting to exercise, starting to eat better. They may be small changes at first, um, but introducing that into your life is really, really important for everybody. Yeah, just moving. I was saying to someone, I've started getting into trampolining oh, lately, <laughs> and uh, I really love it. Great. And... Um, and um, and I said it's really just moving. It's that's right. I'm, I'm just moving my body. It's that simple. It is. You know, that so simple. stop saying exercise or I've got to go and do a class. You know, that's it's right. just simply moving your body. Exactly. It's, I think as humans, fly. we used yeah. to move our body to to go and catch our food, to go and clean our bodies, to go and mm -hmm. you know everything that we did involve movement it doesn't anymore just use our finger yeah that's <laughs> so cool. we just sit on sit in our bottom and play with our phone and that's it's all there we don't have to hunt for information yeah so I think if we if we just um stop being so hard on ourselves that we have to take a class or as you say it's all that um uh, you know not taking the lift and taking the stairs if you're able um or you know taking the Parking that car that's that little right. bit further away. Yeah. Um, you know, all those little things matter, isn't it, to the staff? They actually make it. And, e and even if it's just small, if it starts up with five minutes or ten minutes or whatever, it's something. Absolutely. It's, it's powerful. So where can people find you? Because I'm sure listening today they will say, oh, I wonder where she works. Where, <laughs> where, where could they Google you and find you? So I work, as I said, Danae, a day and a half uh, or so at Third Avenue Surgery in Mount Lawley, mm -hmm. and I work most of my time in women's health at Womb in West Perth. Mm -hmm. So you could Google either of those places and, and find And they can find me. you yeah. and, and, and grab an appointment because I, I just think it's um, 
it's so important to see the right people too. And it's not saying that, but everyone um, has special interests. Absolutely. And and sometimes seeking that help from people that that's their area of of interest. It's my area of passion. Yeah. And I really, I love helping women in this area. I love, I've had a lot of really um, powerful women in my life and I think, uh, being able to build into other women is is a really um, it's a really worthy thing. I'm really honoured to be able to do this. So. I think also when you've you see people that can empathise that they've walked that same journey um, can be really helpful too. Yes, you know because if they've seen a few people um, and been told oh, I don't think you are or you know or not really listening acknowledging. Um, what you're experiencing, even that in itself can be a very powerful part of healing, isn't it? Can be, absolutely. Well, it can certainly be a good start. I said validation's a big start. Yeah. 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 Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to connect and I'm sure there'll be many more episodes, but um, thank you for sharing this great information on a very important topic for us all. Thank you so much, Janae. A big thank you to Dr Chelva for sharing her time and knowledge with us today on Meditalk. To learn more about Dr Chelva, simply Google Dr Sunita, S-U-N-I-T-A, Chelva, C-H-E-L-V-A. If you feel this podcast episode can help a friend or a family member, please share, as sharing knowledge empowers our lives and the lives of others. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute to write a quick review on Apple Podcasts. To listen to more episodes of Meditalk, visit meditalk.com.au and if you have any medical conditions you would like to learn more about, please send me an email via danae at meditalk.com.au. Stay well and thank you for listening.